hear from you, and that's what I ask. God, that we would hear your voice, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that we would even be open to hearing from you. God, if you need to convict us on something, here we are, Lord. If you need to guide us into something, here we are. Lord, if, if, if you want to increase our faith and help us to trust in you, Lord, here we are. So, Lord, just bless your word this morning. Anoint it with your spirit as you do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, the words on a gravestone in this British cemetery read like this. Pause, my friend, as you walk by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. But to this future destiny stated here, someone added these words underneath on the gravestone. It said, to follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. (laughs) Well, there's a truth here, right? Your destiny is not determined by chance. But you know what? It really is determined by choice. William Law once wrote this, Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Well, as we return to our study here in the book of Hebrews, we find that God's original plan for us was really shattered by sin. But through the grace of God, Jesus died on the cross in order to recover that plan. So now... There is a choice for your future, for the Son of God has brought a way to recover your destiny. And that's the title of my message this morning, Recover Your Destiny. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 5 through 9. We finished up in verse 4 last time, and 5 through 9 this morning. Now our outline is this, the plan was launched, the plan was ruined, and the plan was saved. So, recover your destiny. Let's start here now. Number one, let's begin with the plan was launched. That's our first heading. The plan was launched. Take a look with me here now. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. It reads here, For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels. Now, we'll stop right there. We begin with the writer. Now, he's continuing on saying this. For he... Who is he talking about? Well, that is God. And God has not put the world to come. Now, the world to come, he's referring really to the, the future millennium, that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. So then he says, well, you know, that world to come, the future millennium of which we speak. Now, the writer mentioned this and spoke about this back in chapter 1, if you remember in verse 13 when we studied that, mentioning how Jesus is the sovereign Lord, the king during that time, the time of the millennium. So during that time now, God has everyone in the world there. Excuse me, let me say this. God is saying during that time that Everyone in the world will not be in subjection to the angels. Subjection here, that word it means to be under the command or under the administration. So here's what he's saying. So God will not put angels in charge uh, under Jesus during the future millennium. 
So basically, that's the idea here. Now remember, we learned that the Jews had a high regard to angels, right? Uh, these angels are powerful beings. We talked about that in, in chapter 1. They're glorious. They're holy. But it, it, that's why the Jews were like lifting angels up. And remember, Hebrews is written to the Jews. And so they honored the angels in the highest way. But God's holy angels were not only inferior to Jesus, because we learned last chapter that Jesus is greater, but they are servants that go around doing his bidding. They're servants to the Lord. So the writer's kind of bringing this thought into our minds that after the seven years of tribulation, Jesus will return, set up that thousand-year reign here literally on the earth called the millennium, and during which the writer's saying, hey, the angels, they're going to still serve God there. They are not the ones who will be overseers under Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning. There's going to be some other overseers in the world during the millennium. All right, so then who will be in charge? Well, the writer leads us into the answer of that question by explaining something first. And we're going to find the answer at the end of our message today. But let's see what the writer says next. So first the writer says in verse 6 now, But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. And then verse 8, You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. So pause right there. We're going to pick up the last part in our next section. So the writer goes on. He's leading us into the answer, really, of, hey, so if the angels aren't going to be overseers, then who's it going to be? Well, he begins here in verse 6, and he says, but one testify. And really, this is speaking of King David, who in a certain place, and that's really talking about the scriptures, and then he goes on to quote Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. And so he quotes this, those verses, and he begins saying, hey, what is man? In other words, what is a human being? What is this mere mortal that God even is mindful, or that God even thinks about him? He's, he's, he's just a guy. And then he goes on and quotes the psalm, says, or the son of man. Now, this is not the same phrase that speaks about Jesus being the son of man that we see in the Gospels. But this is really speaking about the human race. So what is the human race that God would even care about them? In other words, in this psalm, and as the writer's quoting Psalm 8, in other words, we human beings are insignificant compared to the Almighty God. Now, Genesis 2-7 tells us man was made from the dust of the earth. So I like what one pastor said. He said, in terms of our physical composition, humans are not much. Purchase the raw materials that make up a human body, and you'll get change back from a $20 bill. <laughs> I like that, right? I mean, compared to God, who are we? So the psalmist starts to give us this idea of, of we're, we're like nothing. But then the psalm goes on, and the writer is quoting it. The psalmist says this, You made us a little lower than angels. Now, in this phrase, it doesn't speak about the importance of a person or the value of a person, but it's really talking about how humans are physical beings, right? 
Well, angels are spirit beings. So angels have a little one-up with us human beings. See, angels are on this higher level, so to speak. For we're earthly, they're heavenly. We're fleshly, right? We have a physical body. They're spiritual. We are in, the, in this realm, time and space, that dimension, right? Well, angels live in the very eternal presence of God. So you can understand why the psalmist said, well, we're, we're, we're not better than angels. You know, we're made a little lower. But even with that, the psalmist goes on to tell us that man does hold a certain position. So in verse 7, the psalmist goes on and says that God crowned him. That speaks as man is being a ruler and set him over the works of his hands. Whose hands? God's hands. So God did set man to be over the earth. And then it says he put all things, all the earth, in subjection. And there's that word again, hippotasso. So it means to be under the authority. It means to line up. It means to administer, be administered to. So human beings have been given authority over the earth. And so there's nothing left on the earth that was not put under his authority. So the idea here is God put man to be in dominion. You've heard that word before. God put man to be in dominion over all creation on earth the earth now we understand this we understand what david was writing here i mean we find that truth in the creation account and let take a moment right now turn over to the first book in the bible genesis chapter one all the way to the first book in the old testament genesis chapter one and i just want to look at this briefly verse 28 as what the psalmist is talking about it, re it relates to what has happened in the time of creation. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Who is he talking to? He's talking to Adam and Eve, right? The first human beings. And he says here in verse 28, 28, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and then look, subdue it. The idea is, is bring everything in the earth under your authority. Now, here's that same thought in this psalm and what the writer in Hebrew is quoting. And then it says next in verse 28, have dominion, yeah? rule and reign over what? The fish of the sea, over what? The birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what we see here in Genesis chapter 1, what the writer is quoting, Psalm 8, and what, what he's using really to bring this thought is that when God made the earth and all the living creatures, he put human beings in charge, in dominion over all the earth. Now, God made angels, but the Lord is over angels and, and their servants to God. But God made human beings, he, he made man, to be over in authority over the living creatures. So the writer is introducing this idea. The original idea was God put man, human beings, over all the earth. And that was the plan that was launched. The plan was launched right here in Genesis 1, right here in the time of creation for man to rule over the earth. And man was stewards, right, of the earth. I mean, God was still over the man, but man was in charge of the earth and stewards for the Lord. 
So back to Hebrews chapter 4. What we see here in this section we just read, God originally destined humans to have dominion over all the earth. This is the point. This is what the writer is really bringing out to us right now. He's saying God originally destined humans to have dominion over all the earth. I came across this. Um, I came across some signs that show that you don't own your dog. Actually, your dog owns you. Some things listed were this. You let your dog sleep on your side of the bed. Your dog has more toys than your kids. Or your dog has cuter outfits than you do. I was cracking up at this next one. A sign that your dog owns you is that your dog has its own Instagram account. That's crazy. I guess it's out there. Or how about this one? Your dog takes you out for walks. And I, I see that too, right? <laughs> right? And they're taking you out, pulling you around, right? Who's really the owner? Who is the pet? When those roles are reversed, it's unusual, right? It's funny. We, we kind of laugh at that. Why? Well, because, and really in our point, God originally destined humans to have dominion over all creatures in the earth. That was his intent. That's what, what you know, we're the owner. The dog is our pet. Well, it's not the other way around. You know, I think about how when we don't live in the way that God originally intended, that creates problems, doesn't it? And that is unusual to what God originally intended, right? He intended for, for us human beings to, to obey Him, to follow Him, to serve Him. And, and just like, well, it's kind of unusual to, to, for the dog to be the master over, over the owner. Well, I was thinking about that, how many times if we go against what God had originally intended, it creates problems. I mean, if you go against your moral conscience, which remember when we studied Romans, God put inside of each one of us, created there, in every human being, and you go against your moral conscience, and you fall into temptation and sin, then what? You create all kinds of consequences, pain and suffering, right? And that's going against what God originally intended your conscience to help you with. Or, or how about this? If you don't love your wife like Christ loved the church, or wives, if you don't submit to your husband as unto the Lord, Ephesians 5, then what? The union of your marriage will, will start to crack and it brings heartache and, and stress into your life. Why? Because you aren't living out what God originally intended for what a marriage is supposed to be. A marriage is supposed to be a union. And how does that work? Well, husbands love your wives and wives be submit to your husband as unto the Lord. How about this? If you don't cultivate a relationship with the Lord and you start to seek after things in the world, you know, all of a sudden what's important is money or the material things or, or sports or your career or hobbies or even a person or some people get very addicted to alcohol or drugs, then what happens? What happens if you don't cultivate that relationship with the Lord? You know what happens? You're going to have an emptiness inside of you that you can never fill or satisfy. You know why? Because we were made to have a relationship with God. Originally, Adam and Eve had this close relationship with the Lord in a garden. And then when, when you don't have that, when you're not seeking after that, you're going to have this emptiness 
This, this gnawing inside of you that you're not satisfied, you're not fulfilled, you're not content. It's like what uh, Greg Laurie once said, we were created with a God-shaped hole in our lives. We have been created to love God, to know God, and to bear fruit. Everything else is secondary. I like that. So here's the thing. When you really see what God originally put into creation, you see why things are so messed up. Let me ask you, is your life messed up today? Are you here because you've gotten off track from all that God had originally planned for you? Well, as we get into this passage, we start to see, wow, God, God originally had man to be dominion. He destined humans to have dominion over all the earth. When you start to understand that, then you're, on, you're getting on the right track. God's inviting all of us, each one of us, myself, to get back on track and recover your destiny. Well, let's move on here to number two in our outline. The plan was ruined. The plan was ruined. Our title, Recovering Your Destiny, we, saw, we see, first of all, the plan was launched, and now number two, the plan was ruined. Now take a look at verse 8, Hebrews chapter 2, the, the last part now, after we had stopped. It says, but now we do not yet, we do not yet see all things put under him. Now, the writer here goes on to give us the bad news, which I kind of let you know already, right? That now, at this time, we do not see, right? Do not see what? What God had originally destined humans to be. We do not see yet, he says, which points to our next section, and we'll talk about that when we get there. But we do not see now what? That all things are put under the authority and dominion of human beings. So what was in the Garden of Eden is gone now. We do not see that. What happened? What happened to God's creation and His original intent and plan that He put forth there? What happened? You know the answer, right? Man sinned, right? Adam and Eve sinned, and they lost the crown the glory that said earlier, the honor in verse 7, right? They lost that. God originally destined man to rule, but now the plan was ruined. That's the, the, our heading here. The plan was ruined. Understand that after the fall of Adam and Eve, the whole human race now is in a fallen state, right? Sin came into the world. Sin came into this perfect, beautiful creation and corrupted everything. The, corrupted the human race and the consequences of sin brought a curse, right? On the whole world, on the whole earth, on all of creation. And we see this, right? We see it in several ways. Like man is in bondage now to sinful flesh. And what's the consequences? Death. Sin brings death. We know that uh, biblically. Man is no longer the master over ruling over animals, right? I mean, so generally, you know, I mean, generally in that way, most animals cannot be tamed, but they're wild, right? Man must toil the land. Remember, that was part of the curse. In other words, we don't go make a living. We work now, right? Now, that's what happened with the curse. Thorns and thistles came up from the, the, the land and filled it, Genesis 3 there. 
And you know what? Worst of all, man is not in charge of the earth anymore. Who is? Satan. Satan. I mentioned that, I think, a couple weeks ago. Remember how Jesus called him, Satan, in John 12, 31, the ruler of this world. Or in 1 John 5, 19, it says, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now, praise the Lord, when Jesus returns in his second coming, he takes back possession of the earth that man had lost. But right now we're in this fallen state, this world, our own, own human race. So you see, because of sin, everything got mixed up and flipped upside down. So what is the writer of Hebrews saying here in the end of verse 8? Sin shattered man's destiny to rule over all the earth so it was destiny to rule the earth that was originally a creation but then we don't see that right now why not well because sin shattered man's destiny to rule over all the earth a teacher once asked her student is the world round no ma'am he answered is it flat then she asked no ma'am was the reply well, asked the mystified teacher, if it's not round and it's not flat, then what is it? And the student said, it's crooked. <laughs> but that's true. It's crooked. It's messed up. It's cockeyed. It's, it's not spinning right. Yeah? It's messed up. It is crooked. It is messed up from what God originally made it to be. The plan was ruined. So do you understand now why things are so crooked, so messed up, so wrong? Do you understand why? Do you understand why there's so much suffering and pain and, and wickedness and evil going on? Because of sin, what we see today is man not in control anymore in the way that he should have been, right? I mean, human beings, we're not in control of our personal life. I mean, that gets out of whack. We're not in control of our marriage, our family, our relationship. What we see today is, is this world is in chaos. Our homes are messed up. Uh, work, schools, neighborhoods, government is messed up, right? Even nations. We see today that our society is all messed up. No longer do they hold to biblical principles. They hold to different standards. Uh, anything goes now. Values have changed. And, and, and pray, pray, because our country is changing. I know uh, and recently read in New York, they passed that you can have an abortion from, from conception to nine months now. It's crazy. The preciousness of life is all messed even all of creation is suffering under sin. And interesting, in Romans 8.20, the first part of the verse, it says, against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. And then verse 22, the first part says, for we know that all creation has been groaning. So we're in this fallen state right now. You, you, so sin shattered man's destiny to rule all, over all the earth, and that just flipped everything up now so accept that see that sometimes we struggle with what's going on here god why did you allow this but if you understand that sin shattered man's destiny and brought all the suffering and pain and mess and sin 
You know what? Don't blame God for it, right? Don't blame God for man's sin. Don't blame God for people's choices. Yeah? Don't blame him when you see all this. It wasn't his intent. It wasn't what he originally planned. And then how many times our own sin, right? Our own poor choices bring on consequences of pain and suffering. It's us. Don't blame God when we make that mistake. Two men were on trial in the San Diego Superior Court. An eyewitness took the stand. The prosecutor went up to the eyewitness and asked, So you say you were at the scene when the robbery took place? Yes, said the eyewitness. The prosecutor then asked, And you saw a vehicle leave at a high rate of speed? Yes, said the eyewitness. And did you observe the occupants? Yes, two men confirmed the eyewitness. And the pro prosecutor now was coming to his peak. Are those two men present in court today? Well, at this point, the two defendants sealed their own destiny. They raised their hands. <laughs> Don't blame God for your own mistakes. Our own sin brings our own ruin. And in this way, we make our destiny, right? We make our destiny. Well, let's go on here to number three. The plan was saved. Recover your destiny. We saw the plan was launched. The plan was ruined. But, praise the Lord, the plan was saved. Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 9. But we see Jesus. We're going to stop right there. Sadly, the catastrophic problem in verse the end of verse 8 is that we do not see man having dominion like he was destined to be. But I love this as we cross over into verse 9. But you know what? The writer says, we see Jesus. We see Jesus, the writer is saying, becoming what man was meant to be. And it's through Jesus we can regain the dominion that was originally destined for human beings. Jesus Christ recovered our destiny. So now believers, and this is what we're pointing to and what we're looking at, so now believers will reign with him in the millennium. So this brings, brings us back to that first part where we learned that God will not put angels in charge during the future millennium. So who will God put in charge then? under Jesus' rule and reign at that time? Well, the answer is right here. Believers will be the ones ruling and reigning with Christ. For in the millennium, believers will regain that destiny God intended man to originally have, to hold that authority over the earth. So through Jesus, the plan was saved. That's our heading. In the millennium, Jesus will restore the earth, right? We, we, we study that. He's going to restore the earth back to like how it was in the Garden of Eden. He's going to be ruling and reigning. He's going to do all of that. The curse will be lifted. Jesus will set up his reign, and everything's going to be different. Like environmentally, Isaiah 35 tells us that streams of water will come into the dry, and land, dry land and deserts, and they're going to bloom in fruit. That creation or, or animals, Isaiah 11, will be tamed. You guys know this verse, 11, Isaiah 11, 6 says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, 
The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And then it says, and a little child shall lead them. There's human beings, right? Dominion over the earth. Economically, the world's going to be fixed. In Isaiah 65, it talks about how there's really no homeless as every person will have their own place and they'll eat from the fruit of their own land. It talks about how every, the health of the world is going to be all healed. And Isaiah 65 says that people will be healthy, no diseases, and people are going to live a long life where to be 100 years old is actually considered a teenager. Socially, it's going to be incredible. Since Jesus defeated Satan, people will be holy, godly, obedient to God. And politically, it's going to be perfect because the government will be ruled and reigned by Jesus. Our Lord God will rule and reign and we'll have a theocracy. It will be perfect justice, perfect righteousness that will be given. Well, I can't wait for that time with the mess we live in, right? And we cannot forget Israel will be saved in Jesus, restored to the land and with God. And let me put in your mind again, what we see in our passage, destiny will be recovered. Believers will rule and reign with Jesus in the millennium over all the earth. 2 Timothy 2.11 and verse 12 says, This is a faithful saying, for if we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Praise the Lord, huh? Yes. So then, how does Jesus do this? How did, how did he do this? Well, that's the rest of verse 9. Jesus, in verse 9 it says, who was made a little lower than angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Okay, Jesus, was, was, uh, Jesus brought himself a little lower than angels angels what what does that mean isn't this confusing well he just told us in chapter one that jesus is greater than angels well what is he saying that he's a little lower than angels well what did we talk about earlier in the psalm well it's talking about what what you know that man is a little lower than angels that he's what a physical human being so we see that jesus god the son became a man a human being who became then lower than angels. And why did God become a man? Well, it says next, for the suffering of death. So Jesus could suffer and die on the cross for our sins. So he can atone for our sins. He did something that we could never do. So now what? Jesus, it says in verse 9, is crowned with glory and honor. He is now the Redeemer King. He is now uh, the one who redeems saints and is the ruler over all the earth so as god as man now he has taken the place where we will be and now he's god he's man he's king he's lord because he's also having dominion over the earth so he's crowned with that glory and honor which was all done i love this by the grace of god oh you and i you know as sinners unfaithful to the lord disobedient, yeah, rebellious, yeah, not listening to God. How about even doubting God, right? 
We don't deserve Christ to do this for us. But by the grace of God, by the pure act of grace, Jesus, and you know what this tells me? When you see here, by the grace of God, you see that Jesus willingly did this. He wasn't forced. Yeah? He willingly, it was grace that moved him. And it also means that he lovingly did this for us. And what did he do? It says, might taste death. The word taste means experience, that Jesus experienced death. Jesus died in our place. That's what it's really talking about, that he took the punishment that we deserve. The substitutionary atonement is the, the technical word for that. He died on a cross in place for us where we deserve to die. And lastly, Jesus died on a cross. And what's the last two words? For everyone. No one is left out here. Jesus did all of this for each one of you, each one of us, for the whole world. Jesus did what no angel could do. He became a man and died on the cross for our sins. Well, I really think about how, you know, that worship song by Chris Tomlin, Jesus Messiah, said he became sin who knew no sin, that we may become his righteousness. He humbled himself, didn't he? He carried the cross. And then those lines, love so amazing, love so amazing. You guys, in this passage, there's so much love leaking out here from the living God, the almighty God, the sovereign Lord, our maker we studied about last chapter. What he did for us in becoming a man, there's so much. And as we go on in this chapter next time, we're going to see even more of that. Well, really our last point is this, and this is what the writer is saying. See Jesus as the way back to your destiny. He's done everything for us. So see Jesus as the way back to your destiny. You know, I was thinking about this in my own life. I came to give my life to Jesus when I was 14 years old. And I remember when I was about 16, I felt this, this call to ministry that God wanted to use me and and I didn't know what it was going to be. I just, all I had burning in my heart was, I want to change the world. I want to change the world. And God opened up opportunities as a teenager for ministry. I mean, I was doing, leading worship and, and, and teaching here and there a little bit, you know, in our own youth. And, and um, also, I had a, a music group, we, a Christian group, music group and he opened up a ministry and we were traveling in different churches and and sharing our songs and everything but then a few years into my 20s I, I drifted spiritually my wife and I was still in church Sunday but no more midweek no more other meetings no more fire in my soul like before and for about three years I looked back I was basically a lukewarm Christian no more that fire. I was in a backslidden state and drifting even more into the world, into the darkness of the world. But I, I'll never forget one morning, my wife, I went surfing and came back home. My wife came out and was crying and saying, I don't know what's happening. I read my Bible and I don't feel God anymore. I don't know what's happening. But I, you know what? That woke me up. Because I knew immediately what the problem was. It was me. It was me. I led my own wife into a life away from 
what God intended it to be. Well, I decided to rededicate my life to Jesus, and, and we got committed, you know, put our eyes on Jesus. We, we really went back to church, and we went back midweek, and we went back, and we went back even serving. But I knew the answer was Jesus, to see Jesus, to go to him. And to see Jesus was the way back to this destiny God had. And I didn't realize all of this, but as I served in this church, and we were there maybe four or five years, I started to serve more. I was doing worship again, and, and then taking care of sound, and then next thing I was running the men's fellowship, and then uh, running, uh, uh, we had home fellowships, doing a study there, and then we were doing all, I was just serving all kinds of ways, whatever I, I, I could do for the Lord. And then about, I forget, four or five years Later, God put me on staff at that Calvary Chapel. And I was there 13 years, and then God brought us here to plant this church. But do you understand? God put me on track, back to what he really destined all along, what he wanted to do in my life. Just as Jesus is the way back to our ultimate destiny. And one day, as a believer... We're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ. I don't fully understand that. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm like, me? No way. But that's what the scripture tells us. And that's our ultimate destiny. Well, in that same way, Jesus, you guys, is the way back for you to get back to what God always wanted to do in your life. To get back to have God in your life in the way he always intended it should be. Our, our attraction to sin in the world has led us astray off that path. Get back, you guys. Get back to your destiny. Or maybe you're here and, and you've kind of given up. Maybe there's been some circumstances and situations and definitely through the years I talked to many people, you know, something happened in the church or something the pastor did and that's it. I'm out of church. I know I remember talking to someone, he moved to Island, but when we surf, and, and um, I used to go to a church here up country, and, and uh, the pastor and the wife committed suicide, and that was it. That was it. He was done with God. Many people stopped going to church. Many, many people stopped being involved because, well, they got hurt, or they just give up. But what are you giving up on? You're giving up on God, Right? Remember, this world is reeling from the curse. Yeah? And church people and a pastor's not immune from that. We all make mistakes. We can act in our emotions and our flesh. The disasters, the heartbreaks, the injustice, the pain and suffering, whether from the church or the world, it just only proves that Hebrews, eight, Hebrews chapter 2 at the end of verse 8 is true, right? We live in an imperfect world. Things will happen beyond our control. We, and, and we wonder, you know, what, God, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Why don't you do something? And you start blaming the Lord and then you get mad at God. And it's consequences of people's choices and even our own. But let me tell you, all is not lost. We find in our passage that but that Jesus has made a way for believers to reach their ultimate destiny. That Jesus is the one. He died on the cross. He rose again. And now 
we can live that life. And ultimately, he's going to bring us to a, a, a position, you guys, in the millennium where we'll rule and reign with him. And all this chaos, all this pain, all this stuff, it's going to be gone, you guys. But in the meantime, God has a destiny for you. And that is to, to get back to what he's always called you to do on this earth. To get back to what he wants you to be on this earth. To get back to God working in your life and transforming you no matter what's happened. No matter what the situation. No matter what's going on in work or school or your neighbors or relationship in your marriage. He wants to do this work inside of you. To change you from the inside out. Listen, I, I think about it this way. We're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ, right? I feel like, me? No ways, you know. But God is going to be putting in that place, and I believe what he's doing in our lives now, changing us, making us into the very image of Christ, is preparing us for that day in our ultimate destiny. He wants to prepare. He wants to change you now for that goal. Where are you then? Have you given up on the Lord? God, I'm just going so far, and that's it. Because of this and this. Yeah. Is that really right? If God has destined you to be this ruler reign, rule and reign with him, is that really right? Is that really right even to say that to the Lord? Right? God has so much for you. So when you don't see what you wish could be happening, what you wish people would do, what you wish your situation would be like, do what the writer said in verse 9. But we see Jesus. We see Jesus. He's the one who conquered sin, conquered death, conquered this world. Look up to Jesus and really see him as your Savior, as your Master, as your Lord, as your friend, as your healer. Yeah? Really look to him in that way. Look up and see Jesus. Look to him as the one who can help you, strengthen you, change you, and the one who's going to bring you to a place that you will conquer any problem, any situation, anything going on in your life right now. You don't have to give up. You don't have to walk away from it. You just see Jesus. I'll close with this. At uh, the Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, Every once in a while, a small bird gets trapped inside the main sanctuary of the church. Kind of like here. Huh? <laughs> Sometimes in teaching, you go, pew, pew. The best was Makwal School. You remember, Elaine, when a chicken came in? It was like, book, 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 you know, walking in. Yeah. The worst is when cockroaches start running around, and you see all the ladies, woo, woo, kind of thing. But anyway, back to the story. In this church... A small bird got trapped inside the sanctuary. And in the past, they tried many ways to chase the bird out. But they found one way that works all the time. After everyone is gone, they turn off all the lights in the sanctuary so it gets pitch dark. Then they turn a bright light in the exit hall that leads to an open door outside. Then the bird finds its freedom. How? By flying straight to the light. That's it, guys. That's your way 
out of. Ah, there it goes. <laughs> See, God wanted a visual illustration. Right there. <laughs> That's your way, you guys, out of the darkness. Fly to the light. Look to Jesus. God is so much for you. So much. You know, as Lane was sharing, and as he stepped into this church and God began to work in his heart, God has done so much as he looked to Jesus. As he followed Jesus. God is so much for you that you've been missing all these years. It's time, right, to get back to what God intended for you. Give your heart, give your, your life, Surrender all to Jesus now. And you know what? Then you will recover your destiny. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth in front of us. God, it's hard for me to imagine that I'm going to be one of the believers, so it's really in rainy. I, I, I don't feel like I'm qualified. But Lord God, that's what you say. But in the meantime, Lord, then, if that is my ultimate destiny, if that is our ultimate destiny, Lord, we want to do all we can to prepare us for that day. Lord, we don't want to live in the darkness anymore. We want to live in the light. We no longer want to give in to our flesh and emotions and even our hurt, even our, 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 how we tend to run away from pain and sorrow. We don't, wanna, we want, we don't want to live that, that way because how many times that, does that bring us away from you and your plan? God, we want to live in the way that you destined us to be. And Lord, we understand now that a lot of this pain and suffering and chaos and craziness, Lord, is from this fallen world. But God, we see now, we see you, Jesus, God the Son, who became a man to die on a cross for our sins, who rose again and conquered sin, conquered death, and conquered this world, defeated Satan, and no longer our flesh has power over us, but we're freed to choose you. No longer can the enemy just have his way with us because you're there, Lord, protecting us and you will never leave us nor forsake us. And now, Lord, you've given us a new life to where you're forming our character and growing us and maturing us in every way where you're producing those fruits of the spirits, Lord, where, God, we're becoming like you, Jesus. That's what you predestined us to be. That's what you have purposed in us from the beginning. Forgive us for not walking in that destiny. Lord, I pray for each one of us here this morning. I am convicted, Lord. But we want to repent of our sins. We want to Ask for your forgiveness and be cleansed. And Lord, we want to surrender. Surrender all. Not just the parts in our life or the things in our heart that are easy to surrender, 
Not just the things we already have, but the hard places, Lord. The hard things, God. The situations, the hurts that we still nurse. Lord, we want to surrender all of that to you right now. Oh, we need you, Jesus. And we want you. Lord, we want to have that fire, God. Even more so. We want to have the fire that we had before. Even when we got first saved, Lord. We want to go everywhere you want us to go. We want to do everything you want us to do, Lord. We want to be everywhere where you are. So, Lord, we offer ourselves up to you right now. And we acknowledge you as our Lord and our Savior. We thank you that your promises are true. We thank you that you are receiving us now, Lord. Lord, help us to love you more. We want you more. In Jesus' name, amen.